doesn't feel right. Right, doesn't feel like the right time for us to return here on Reteaching the Game with your host, Ethan Noroff. I know it's been a little bit of time, but the NBA draft just a couple of days ago, free agency right around the corner, and you know, my real season, the offseason, right out in front of us, it just feels like the timing is right. Now, I'll be honest with you guys, just searching a little bit recently, looking for something to give me passion, something to just light my fire in a way that it just hasn't been stroked recently. And man, it's easy to forget why I fell in love with this, but I sure did. Free agency, the NBA offseason, everything it's had to offer, everything it still has to offer. There is so much to discuss, so many angles, so many paths, so much potential, and that really does bring us to the episode name of episode number 14 of today's podcast, The Allure of Potential. Right, well, You know we're going to be talking a little bit about the NBA draft. We're not really going to recap it. We're going to hit hit you guys with a few lessons learned from it. By this time, we already know what happened. Right, It's easy to read about the results. We can have a discussion about some of the, more, uh, big, some of the bigger talking points, if you want to call it that. We'll focus on what cap space really gets you. Had a really good conversation with one of my best friends today. So make sure we want to hit on that, specifically on that topic. And then we all know about how good this free agent class is, right? We've been hearing about it for basically since last offseason. Basically for a full year, we've been hearing how good this class is going to be, how much is going to shift the landscape of the NBA. And, you know, we've already seen that, right? Anthony Davis wasn't a free agent, but that trade to Lakers certainly shook some things up, as did Kevin Durant's injury, as did Clay Thompson's injury, right? But there are still so many guys out there beyond those obvious names, so many really talented players. Right, look, if you're in the NBA, you got talent. Make no mistake about that. But there are so many guys who are just not in that first tier, but either in that second or third tier, and they should be discussed a little bit more. Right, this market is going to be fascinating because you do have a lot of teams with cap space. You have a lot of teams looking to make a change, looking to make a move. So patience will be tested. So we'll get into that a little bit. The reason that this episode is called The Allure of Potential is pretty simple. Right. It's pretty straightforward. And when you listen to this podcast, keep in mind that, yes, we do this live. And yes, I do have a dog and sometimes he gets stimulated and that's how things go. That's the magic. Well, it's not really the magic of television. It's the magic of recording audio. Right. So we're just going to keep it moving. So when we talk about the NBA draft. Right. This allure of potential. It's kind of like every team has a fresh slate. No matter where you started, no matter where you finished. It's, ah, it's that time to hit the reset button again. It's that time where my team can feel hopeful about its future. It's that time where we get this injection of youth and optimism, right? Everybody's sort of on the same playing field, even when we know that we're not. That's what the NBA draft represents. And the league has done a good job in making it an event, right? It's it's a consumable event. It's five hours, six hours. It's not all day. It's not over the course of several days like the NFL does it. I don't know how people sit around all day and night for that stuff. It's crazy. The NBA draft is a consumable product. And we had a lot of movement in this year's draft. We had a lot of uh, trades go down. We had a lot of player movement. And that's that's almost always the case, right? I feel like every year we hear about these fireworks that are going to go off. And occasionally we get them. But more often than not, we get a little bit more than just some sparkler action. So that's nice. The NBA draft lessons that we learned, I mean, let's start with the Lakers, right? Because this is an easy one to take away. Lakers literally did not have a pick in this draft until five minutes before they made a pick, right? That's that's how fast that happened. So Lakers, Lakers didn't know that they had a pick in this draft. 
then Lakers fans didn't even know who Taylor Horton Tucker was, right? Maybe those truly dedicated to the draft process. All right, I'll give you that. But most casual Lakers fans didn't even know who this kid was. In the span of 10 minutes between learning Taylor Horton Tucker's name, learning that the Lakers had the 46th overall pick, man, Lakers fans will literally celebrate any second-round pick. You could put Bozo the Clown up there, and they would be telling you why it's a steal of the deal. It's kind of amazing. Right, we talk ourselves into this potential, and yes, the advanced stats absolutely love Horton Tucker. Right, he's six foot four with a seven foot one wingspan. You go, oh, that's pretty interesting. Looks like a kid who could play a little defense. If he gets his body in better shape, could all of a sudden be an interesting player. But just through that process alone, right, even me, I sit here and talk myself into it because of what we don't know versus what we do. Right, when we don't know the outcome. We tend to go one of two ways with it. We tend to either go very positive or very negative. As humans, we gravitate toward the extremes to fill in the gaps. And that's not a good process to go through because it can be destructive regardless of which way you venture on that spectrum. So anyway, Lakers fans will literally celebrate any second round pick you throw out there, right? We saw it with Avita Zubats a few years ago, right? And then here, here came the trade deadline and Zubats was traded for Mike Muscala. And most people were like, ah, you know, he's probably not going to be re-signed anyway, myself included. And look, the reality is Zubats probably wouldn't be re-signed on this team, especially the way it's going to have to be constructed. But to sit here and celebrate a second round pick, like you just drafted the next Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, next Hall of Famer, let's, let's slow it down a little bit. Right? The second lesson that we learn is one that we might have already known. You would hope that a change in front office structure might bring about a new way of doing business, but maybe it's not the case for Robert Sarver's Phoenix Suns. And I always introduce him like that now because he deserves that distinction. Let me put it like that. So when you get the Suns out here, they still have no idea what they're doing. They started the day with TJ Warren, the sixth overall pick, and the 32nd overall pick. They ended the day with Dario Saric, Aaron Baines, the 11th overall pick in Cam Johnson, the 24th overall pick in Ty Jerome, and of course, Tyler Johnson then opts into his $19 million deal for the coming season, right? They can't really do anything about that. We knew that that was going to happen, but nonetheless, wouldn't you rather have Warren 6 and 32 than Saric, Baines 11 and 24? I feel like that's a better trade in a fantasy league than it is in reality. And I know some people are going to laugh when they hear that, but that's the truth, right? So it just looks like to me that James Jones is still definitely a work in progress as a general manager. I think we all knew that that was going to be the case. But at the same time, I think it's worth mentioning because, you know, they seem like they were just so desperate to get rid of TJ Warren. Maybe it's because Josh Jackson's trade value is just so non-existent that they couldn't get anything. But really, what did they get for TJ Warren? Nothing. So that, that strikes me as somewhat of a surprise. Right? That's, a, that's a definite negative return on investment, especially considering you drafted Warren uh, and hope to develop him into a player, into a piece of your future. And that four-year $50 million contract, there are definitely more egregious deals in the NBA floating out there. The third lesson that we learned, and this is a big one, right? This is true in reality. This is true in fantasy. This is true in pretty much any, any walk of life, basketball, anywhere else, is that scared money don't make none. An ex-colleague of mine wrote me back that exact response on Twitter the night of the draft because I had gone on talking about what Danny Ainge didn't do. You know, he held on to his money. He held on to that draft currency all to just save it, it feels like. Right? All these picks for this. 
And I know that the Celtics couldn't trade for Anthony Davis during the season because they couldn't have two players on designated player uh, extensions, right? Kyrie had signed his with the Cavs and obviously AD with the Pelicans. But you waited all this time for this. And, and look, when you're the Celtics, right, and you're Danny Ainge, like Danny Ainge, it feels like he always has to win the deal. Like even when he doesn't actually win the deal, I feel like he only makes trades that he feels like, oh, I'm definitely winning this trade, right? And that's really not the idea or the spirit of a trade, but that's a whole different conversation. But Danny Ainge, what he has been able to do a good job of is is cut the personal cord, right? For better or for worse. And we saw that with Isaiah Thomas, who, by the way, is a free agent and might just have a market in Boston. But anyway, so Ainge has been, he's been able to do a good job of cutting that personal cord. Every time, except this one, he couldn't do it with Kyrie. And maybe it's because of the work that went in to acquiring the player. Maybe it's because Kyrie was just such this precious asset that you hope it turns out in a different direction. You hope it reestablishes its value. You hope that the tide turns in your favor, right? It's that allure of the potential, the allure of the what if. It's that phenomenon, again, that we're referring to here. So what was different about Kyrie? Well, it's it's Kyrie Irving, right? And everything that we that was leading into this season that just was, was Kyrie Irving was going to remain in Boston for the long term. I mean, that's what he told season ticket holders toward the start of this year. He said, my intention is to re-sign with the Celtics. Now, intention and execution are clearly two different things, right? We learned that a long time ago. If you've been alive for longer than 10 years, which I think that's just about everybody here, Right. You know that those are two different uh, two different things. So for the Celtics, they just drafted four players. They got a bunch of youth on their roster, right, led by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And if the Celtics, just a quick side note, if the Celtics had really had an opportunity to trade Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard last summer, that that might be Danny Ainge's greatest regret in his tenure without question. Right, something to think about there. But if you're the Celtics now, you got four draft picks coming in. You got Jason Tatum, another year of development, who looks like he's going to lead this team moving forward. You've got Jalen Brown flanking him. You've got Al Horford on the way out. It feels like to the Clippers as of right now, anyway. You've got Kyrie Irving clearly with two feet out the door. Terry Rozier is a restricted free agent. His his future in Boston looks a lot clearer than it did a few months ago. But I'm just kind of wondering what the Celtics do from here. Right. Gordon Hayward is still on that bloated number. It's going to be a very interesting season for the Celtics. And, you know, my, my buddy who I was talking to today and, and we'll get into that in just a minute. You know, he's an avid Celtics fan. And what he was saying is that, look, I'm excited to watch this team, whatever it winds up being, because they'll probably play hard. They'll make mistakes, but they'll leave it all out there. Right. And there's something to be said for that, especially when you've been subject to what the Celtics showed us throughout the season, the ups and downs. That was their only consistency, right? Was the roller coaster itself. And I think a lot of attitudes just clashed in that locker room and everybody kind of grew tired of each other. You got Jackie McMullen out here on ESPN saying Kyrie Irving didn't like living in Boston. He and Brad Stevens weren't getting along. He and Jalen Brown weren't getting along, right? Kyrie, and, and my buddy says, look, Kyrie really messed up a lot of stuff for the Celtics. And be that as it may, you cannot blame the player in that circumstance, in my opinion. Because just like you would give credit to the front office for bringing in that player, right? 
you have to also be able to criticize the front office for bringing in that player because with good comes bad even in the most pure of people there's always a trade-off right life is a series of trade-offs and Kyrie Irving didn't exactly have a reputation of being a peachy keen jelly bean teammate before his arrival in Boston right that's part of the reason you were able to acquire him for the price point at which you work think about that Right? There's a reason that things at Walmart are 140th the price that things at Gucci. Now, this isn't the perfect analogy or metaphor to describe this situation, but you get the idea of what I'm going for. And I might have undersold Gucci on that one. 140th feels like it's not quite a small enough number. So let's move on. Right, The NBA draft has come and gone. Free agency is around the corner. And you got all these teams with cap space. We've been talking about cap space. Cap space as if it's an asset. Well, it is an asset, but as if it's a tangible asset, that's the difference, right? What does cap space really get you? This is what my buddy texted me today. He goes, he goes, Ethan, let me ask you a question. What does cap space really get you in the NBA, right? Like I understand you need cap space to be able to sign players. That's all fine and good. But what does cap space really get you? So I had to think about what he was asking. And the reality is cap space doesn't really get you anything, right? It doesn't guarantee you a damn thing. What it does get you is it gets you a seat at the table at least for some players and for some teams, right? It gets you it gets you an entry ticket into the musical chairs. That's actually a better way to say it, right? But what cap space also gets you is it gets you a chance at the unknown and or the underexplored or the unexplored. It's both fascinating and dangerous. And it's not going to make it some sense, so let me break it down a little bit. The reason it's fascinating and dangerous is because we as humans, we, we crave a desire to explore the unknown, right? If you want to know what something is, you have to go kind of feel it, touch it, experience it, play with it, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also dangerous, right? That's why we explore dark spaces that we don't know with a light, right? It's to protect ourselves. So when you're in this space of having cap space, Right? You can do a lot of good, but you can also do damage. And as we've learned in the NBA, damage can be undone through trades and through time. Right, But it's a lot easier to hit on successes in free agency than pay for mistakes. So this is the hardest part about cap space, is being able to navigate it and being able to resist your own temptation. Before the NBA had max contracts, owners were just spending stupid amount of money because of supply and demand. Right, They were just trying to outspend one another. I think of Brian Grant's contract from way back in the day. Those of you OG hoopheads with me, you'll appreciate that reference. right? But that's why we have the max contract, right? Because owners, they had to protect themselves from themselves, basically. It doesn't benefit the player to have a capped earning potential. So you have all these teams with cap space, and so can you have the restraint to sit at that table? right? It's sort of like being offered a buffet and knowing when to stop eating or knowing what to select before you even start. So imagine this gourmet feast is in front of you. They say, ah, oh, you can pick whatever you want. Prices of no concern. You have plenty of money, right? Eat until your heart's content. So you can trade the short term for the long term, meaning you can eat some but not everything. Be satisfied, right, with where you're at and know where you're going in the future. Or you can trade the long term for the short term, stuff your face, but then feel terrible, pay for it the next day. And in the case of the NBA, in the case of the NBA team that builds through free agency this way by stuffing its face just for the sake of doing so, they pay for it over the long haul. The worst thing in the NBA is not being able to be flexible, right? You don't want to be in that reality. That's the toughest part. So when we look at cap space, and if you're a fan of a team that has cap space, 
understand that patience doesn't mean negligence. That patience or prudence, it doesn't mean inactivity. There's only so much that we see. Okay, so cap space is important, but knowing how to use that cap space and when to use that cap space is far more important, obviously. And with that being said, let's look at some of those underrated free agents that are going to fit into that cap space for some of these lucky teams. Because these teams, they're about to get better this offseason, right? By and large, there are a lot of talented players on the market. And that's the best part, is there are going to be players who get overspent on, and there are going to be players who wind up with team-driven value deals. In my opinion, the max player almost always returns his value at an equal or greater rate to his contract number, whereas the role players tend to come up short. And so it's not to knock these role guys, but if you're in a market where everybody's in there or there is a crowded market, prices get driven up because more people have money to play with, right? They have more disposable income. They don't get driven down. It's only when teams run out of money that the prices get driven down because players still need jobs. So that's that's the upside and the downside of patience, right? It's like being in a giant auction and being willing to outspend your neighbor and you don't know what's coming next or when it's coming. I mean, you hope to have an idea if you're a good front office and a good team, but you don't know for certain what the next thing is that's going to come across your table. You got to know when to raise that paddle and when to put it down. So let's look at those free agents. We're going to start with my man, Julius Randle, right? And we're, and we're also going to focus on free agents. Let me, let me stop on Julius for a second. We're also going to focus on those free agents who probably won't re-sign with their current team, i.e. Chris Middleton, right? I don't want to hear about, oh, why don't you talk about Chris Middleton? Okay, first of all, because he's getting a max deal. Second of all, because he's overwhelmingly likely to re-sign in Milwaukee. So let's look at Julius Randle. Yes, the Pelicans have cap space. I don't think Julius Randle is going to come back to New Orleans. Feels like they're focusing on the future. And right now he's part of the past because he was in the BZ era. That's before Zion, right? You'll get there. Teams that could and or should have interest in him. Utah, especially if they wave goodbye to Derek Favors before his deal comes becomes guaranteed. Brooklyn, assuming they don't resign or they don't sign both Kyrie and KD, they'll be in on a lot of players, right? And they need front court depth. Dallas, there's always been a lot of noise about Juju in Dallas, you know, hometown, all of that. The Pacers, I think, would be a really interesting spot, although I don't think they're going to spend because they already have Sabonis. They drafted the kid from Georgia, first name Goga, and they have uh, Miles Turner, of course. So probably scratch the Pacers off that list. But I think the Knicks, they obviously have a ton of cap space. They're going to be in. And Sacramento could be a really interesting spot for Julius Randle. Although I don't feel like backcourt depth is going to be their priority necessarily, or frontcourt depth is going to be their priority necessarily, but could be an interesting spot. Jeremy Lamb. I know there's been a lot of smoke about Kemba Walker coming to the Lakers, and for good reason, but Jeremy Lamb would be an excellent fit on that team. He showed himself to be a good player in Charlotte last year. Charlotte's up against it. Feels like he is not headed back there. So I could feel like the Lakers or the Clippers, either L.A. team, definitely find a role there. The Celtics could use some backcourt depth. They could definitely use some shooting on that roster. I think that would make sense. The Pacers losing Darren Collison in free agency, perhaps. Uh, Tyreek Evans was just banned from the NBA for at least two years. Uh, it feels like a team that's going to need some three-point shooting, especially if uh, Boyan Bogdanovich decides to walk out that door. 
So Jeremy Lamb should be a name on their radar. And then I think the Pelicans make a lot of sense, right? The Pelicans definitely are going to need some shooting to complement Zion and Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. So I feel like that can make some sense too. Brooke Lopez, right? I almost didn't include Lopez because he's such a name, right? But it's because the Bucks are limited in what they can offer him to re-sign that he makes this list, right? They're limited in what they can offer him. And I think his market's going to be there, especially from teams like the Knicks, the Mavs, and the Lakers. Be a perfect fit for the Lakers. He really would. It's too bad they let him walk uh, before last season and he went to the Bucks. Be a perfect fit for this uh, reconstructed Lakers team. Uh, the Mavericks could be interesting, especially if they want uh, Porzingis to play more four than five. So that's a potential option. I just feel like the Knicks, again, I know Mitchell Robinson is the, the next coming of, you know, God himself when it comes to some New York fans. But uh, I think he's got a lot to prove, and Lopez could be a nice fit with all that money to spend and uh, some some real talent. They need some real talent. They can't rely on the what if and expect to uh, put points on the board. DeMarcus Cousins is such a great name to me right now because – this time two years ago, I mean, it was a whole different story, right? It was just just after he had torn his Achilles. Nobody really knew what his future was going to look like. So I should say a little bit uh, longer than two years ago. You know, we thought he was a destined sign of max contract, even remain in New Orleans. Could have changed the whole NBA, right? DeMarcus Cousins' injury really did change so much about the NBA. Anthony Davis, the Warriors, so much. But as far as his market, man, he tore his quad in the playoffs. And yeah, he did come back, but he didn't really... He didn't look really good doing it. And I get the rehab and the recovery and all that, but hasn't been healthy now. Two straight off seasons, bigger guy, big load, didn't look good when he was out there. I feel like it'll be hard for him to build the market to be what, what he wants it to be. And I feel like another one-year deal could definitely be in his future. I could see teams like the Knicks, the Nets, and you know maybe the Lakers on a discount deal be just because they're the Lakers, but I really don't even see it in that regard. So... DeMarcus Cousins is, is a real interesting one to me. I don't know what his market's going to be like. Um, feels like another one-year deal is coming his way. Another guy who's – I have no idea what his market's going to be, and I'm not even going to try to predict it, is Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose can hoop, right? I mean, he can still play. And it's been interesting because there's been next to no conversation about what's going to happen with his career this offseason. I'm very curious to know. I have no idea where Derrick Rose is going to play next season. I have no idea what Derrick Rose is going to look like next season, but he was he was hooping for the Wolves this year at certain points. And so that's a name that I think a lot of people should be filing away and keep a track of, right, as we move forward here. All right, let's finish up with the last few. We got Boyan Bogdanovich, a shooter from the Pacers. Uh, really carried that team for a while, at least offensively, when uh, Victor Oladipo went down last season. Uh, I think the Pacers will try to try to keep him around. Uh, but I don't know if they'll be able to because the Pelicans, the Lakers, the Kings, probably a number of other teams uh, will be in on Bogdanovich. Uh, could really play, and he could really shoot the ball. So that's obviously in high demand in this NBA. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if the Kings uh, come a little bit harder than some people expect. Pat Beverly would make so much sense for the Lakers. I just don't think it's going to be at the number that he's looking for. Pat Beverly's looking to sign a deal. He's looking to cash in. It, it really feels that way. So the Clippers, if they want to keep him, it's going to cost him, right? I think he could re-sign those Clippers. By by no means is that a slam dunk. But I think his hometown Bulls could make sense, even though they just drafted Kobe White. I think the Suns could make some sense, even though Tyler Johnson just opted in. And again, the Pacers, they need that backcourt depth. So I think Pat Beverly would fit in real nice and scrappy alongside Victor Oladipo when he's finally ready to return, probably around December or January, last we heard. So Pat Beverly market's going to be interesting. 
Jonas Valanciunas, a, a guy who we've heard nothing about since the season ended, basically. Right? I think everybody just assumes that he's going to resign with the Grizzlies. But what if a team like the Celtics comes in and says, hey, we want to make you an offer, man? Right? Our timeline has sort of changed. We think you could grow with this team. We've been looking for a center of the future. How about you? Could be an interesting conversation. And again, the Knicks. Because I just I don't think the Knicks are going to attract the players that so many want and hope they that the Knicks are going to attract. I think the Knicks are going to struggle um, to put top talent around what they've amassed on that roster to date. I just think that that the sex appeal is not there for the Knicks. I think Madison Square Garden is one thing, but I think the Knicks are totally different at this point. And so I just I, I struggle with the Knicks, but they're going to be uh, they're going to be there with a lot of money, and someone's going to take it. And finally, we're going to look at DeAndre Jordan, right? DeAndre Jordan's stock has really dropped, it feels like. It just feels like nobody even considers him as tier two, maybe even a tier three free agent at this point. You know, the Knicks, again, they're going to have space. Um, He did end the year there. It seemed like they were on good terms with each other. I don't think either side is, is pressing for a reunion, but it's definitely a possibility. If the Celtics go in another direction, decide they want to find value at the center position and they need some defense, maybe the Celtics. I don't see it with the Lakers. I know he's been mentioned, but with AD now there and Kuzma and, and LeBron, I really, I just don't see DeAndre Jordan as the fit on a team that needs shooting. But I do think the Hawks would be really interesting. Man, he and Trey Young in that pick and roll would be something to watch. And, you know, he could work next to John Collins, especially as John Collins continues to expand his game more toward the perimeter. So I think the Hawks could be a a fun place for DeAndre Jordan if he wants to go somewhere, just play basketball and have a little bit of fun. So, look, we only got a handful of days until free agency. I'm really happy that this podcast can be up and going again. You know, it creates great conversation. You guys are awesome on Twitter. If you're not already following me, make sure you change that at Ethan underscore Noroff, N-O-R-O-F. And look, we're in a great time because this is my favorite time of the basketball season. I love the games, but I love the offseason. I love the number crunching. I love the logic behind the moves. I love the strategy. It's everything that, you know, made me fall in love with sports to start with. And for anyone who doesn't know, you know, that's what I originally went to school for, right? Sport management. I knew what I wanted to do when I was 12, 13, 14. By the time I was 14, I was ready to go intern. So it's crazy to see all these things coming to fruition, aligning, and, you know, me being able to exercise a platform that really leverages a passion of mine. So I appreciate you all sticking with me, even through the miniature hiatus. I promise to you, that I will not do it to you in the future. Expect at least one a week moving forward. That's definitely something sustainable I could hold up on my end. And if you didn't already know, big news. I have also taken over as the lead host for the Hoopball Lakers podcast. So if you're really one of those people who comes here for Lakers content, trust me, you can find it there. We'll keep this one all about the NBA. So Hoopball Lakers, follow us on Twitter at Hoopball Lakers. Download and subscribe to the Hoopball Lakers on podcast on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, leave a review. We'd appreciate it. Until next time, we preview free agency. We out.